Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles, and it is Election Day. We've asked KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer to guide us through the ballot. Let's start with one of California's U.S. Senate seats and why incumbent Democrat Alex Padilla is on the ballot more than once. Here's Scott. Alex Padilla is on the ballot twice because, in a sense, he's applying for two different jobs. He's first running to fill out the rest of Kamala Harris's term, which ends the end of this year. And then he's also running for a full six-year term in the U.S. Senate. Uh, And he doesn't have any real Democratic opposition to speak of. He does have some not very well-funded and not very well-known Republican opponents. But uh, ever since Gavin Newsom appointed him to that position when Kamala Harris became VP, he really has cleared the field, has done a good job getting his name out there and uh, really making sure that there hasn't been any high-profile Democrats challenging him. And being this is a midterm year, control of Congress is also up for grabs as Republicans seek a majority in both the Senate and House. Congressional maps have been redrawn because redistricting, and Scott says there are several key races here in California, including one in the Central Valley. Democrats are hoping to pick up at least one and if not four congressional seats in California. There are several seats that flipped from Democrat to Republican in 2020, and Democrats have their eye on those. One is in the Central Valley, where David Valadeo is in probably the most Democratic congressional seat held by a Republican, certainly in California. It is, uh, after redistricting, even more Democratic than it was two years ago. And he's facing Rudy Salas, who is an assemblyman from the area, born and raised in the Central Valley. And I think this will be probably the most competitive congressional seat, certainly in California and maybe in the country. Okay, we've heard about federal races. Let's turn now to state government races and the contest at the very top. Again, here's Scott. The governor's race, uh, Gavin Newsom is not facing any real serious competition. Uh, One Republican, Brian Daly, a state senator who represents a lot of rural counties, in California is running, but polls show that he has really failed to catch on. And, you know, Newsom did beat back that recall with about 62% last time in September. And it seems like he's really heading in that direction again in November. And there are races for lots of other statewide offices like treasurer, controller, and insurance commissioner. But one race in particular has gotten Scott's attention. One of the more interesting races is attorney general. You have Rob Bonta, who was appointed to the job by Governor Gavin Newsom when Javier Becerra went to Washington to become Secretary of Health and Human Services. He's facing the voters for this job for the very first time. He, of course, was in the state assembly representing Oakland when he was appointed AG. He has a couple of Republicans and one declined to state opponent who are the main contenders for this. And then you you have Anne-Marie Schubert. She is the 
district attorney for Sacramento County, became fairly famous uh, for solving the cold case of the Golden State Killer a few years ago. She was a Republican. She switched parties and has now declined a state or no party preference. And she, in some ways, could be Bonta's toughest opponent. She also wants to crank up the death penalty again. Governor Newsom has a moratorium on executions, which she says uh, is not uh, really within his rights to do as governor. And you'd have to say Bonta is the really the favorite going into November, even though there is a lot of concern right now about public safety. You know, having that D next to his name really is a key cue for voters. And it's been 16 years since a Republican won a statewide office in California. Once again, that was KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer looking at some of the key statewide races on the primary ballot today. And beyond what Scott told you, there are two high-profile municipal decisions facing voters today. One is the recall initiative targeting San Francisco's progressive district attorney, Chesa Boudin. First elected in 2019, Boudin promised sweeping reforms to San Francisco's criminal justice system, emphasizing rehabilitation over punishment. But the DA has faced growing public concerns about crime and public safety. If Boudin is recalled, many would view that as a blow to the criminal justice reform movement nationally. Meanwhile, here in Los Angeles, voters will cast their ballots for who should be the city's next mayor. The top two candidates are Democratic Congresswoman Karen Bass and billionaire real estate developer and Republican-turned-Democrat Rick Caruso. If elected, Bass would be both the first woman and African American. American woman to lead L.A. Caruso has spent more than $30 million of his own fortune on the election, boosting his name recognition with a weeks-long blitz of television, radio, and online advertising. If a mayoral candidate doesn't get more than 50% of the vote, the top two candidates, widely expected to be Caruso and Bass, will move on to compete against one another in the general election in November. And just a reminder, if you haven't voted already, polling locations will be open until 8 o'clock this evening. You can either vote in person or turn in your ballot at your local voting center. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. All right. In other news, California tenants' rights groups have sued the state, claiming its process for denying emergency rental assistance isn't fair. KQED's Aaron Baldessari reports the suit comes as pandemic-era eviction protections are set to expire at the end of this month. 
The states approved emergency rental assistance for more than 316,000 households, but it's also denied over 144,000 applications. A spokesperson for the Department of Housing and Community Development said it always provides a reason for the denial. But Madeline Howard, an attorney with the Western Center on Law and Poverty, says those reasons are often vague and confusing, which makes it hard for tenants to appeal. So the tenant is left wondering, what did I do wrong? How do I fix it? Because they don't get any detail. She says the other problem, denials are often in English, even when tenants indicate they speak another language. For the California Report, I'm Aaron Baldessari. And in other news, a bill in the House of Representatives would help non-citizen military veterans who are being threatened with deportation stay in this country. KQED's Nina Thorson has more. The bill, called the Veterans Service Recognition Act, is co-sponsored by six representatives, five of them from California, including Mark DeCano of Riverside, who chairs the House Committee on Veterans Affairs, and Zoe Lofgren of San Jose, who chairs a subcommittee on immigration and citizenship. It would establish a committee at the Department of Homeland Security to review and make recommendations in cases where a veteran or a service member on active duty is at risk of being deported. Those who've already been deported or are under an order of removal would get a chance to apply for legal permanent status if they haven't committed serious crimes. The bill would also require the Defense Department to allow non-citizens in the military to start the naturalization process earlier than they can do now, as soon as during basic training. For the California Report, I'm Nina Thorson. It's been nearly a year since thousands of Afghans fled their home country as the Taliban seized power following the U.S. military withdrawal from Afghanistan. Many refugees have made their way to the United States and settled here in California, in places like Sacramento and Fremont. But even with assistance from the Afghan-American community and refugee groups, many newly arrived Afghans have been struggling to adapt to their new California lives. San Francisco Chronicle reporter Deepa Fernandez looked at one community where those struggles are evident on a daily basis, the small Central Valley city of Turlock. She joins us now. Hey, Deepa. Hey, Saul. Good to be here. In your piece, you spend a lot of time with one family in particular. And what really struck me was the husband commenting that there are days when he feels like he should have never have left Afghanistan. We met so many people who feel helpless. And, and I think the, the mental health implications are, are really something that need to be taken seriously. Like, by and large, these are folks who have already experienced great trauma. They have escaped for their lives. And then they were welcomed warmly by this country. It, it cast your mind back to August when people were just giving and donating and wanting to know how they could help. But very quickly, they've disappeared from the public imagination. And and that sense of helplessness that Ahmed feels, he's not alone. There were many others whereby, you know, they're still day by day, hour by hour, following the progress of their family members who are endangered in Kabul and other places in Afghanistan. Yet, they have to be here and make a life. And everybody thinks that they got out and they're the lucky ones. But they're struggling and they're stranded. And right now, Ahmed and his family, he managed to find his own place to rent. He had to ask his brother to sign the lease. And they don't have any way to pay the rent because Ahmed is really struggling to get a job. He needs a root canal, Saul. And he just got told that root canal is going to cost thousands of dollars. He doesn't have any money. And so he's in a lot of pain and unable 
to even pay rent or get dental work done in his mouth that will help ease some of that pain. You know, what really strikes me, Deepa, is that every day must bring 101 new challenges, big and small, for these refugees from Afghanistan. Yeah, things I think we all just take for granted. You know, you don't, you, you forget these very little things, just like milk for your babies. You know, what kind of milk? Where do you get it from? And we're in the middle of a formula crisis. You know, so I think when we think about many of the problems that many of us encounter and, and, and especially low-income communities and communities of color, it's just magnified for brand new refugees who are not getting the services that they need. And finally, Deepa, California has history when it comes to refugee resettlement, going back to the Vietnam War, more recently the resettlement of Iraqis from the Iraq War. Are there any lessons learned from those experiences that could help us when it comes to resettling these newest refugees from Afghanistan? One would hope so, but I think what we've seen in Turlock is just the isolation of the place, which has led to even, you know, the Afghan community here in the Bay Area is has also been a little unaware of what's going on because it's just further away. So the Afghan community in Sacramento, in San Jose, has stepped up and has really been helpful. Um, but I think the other main problem, Saul, is the lack of resources when the country wants to bring people here, the International Rescue Committee only gets a little over $2,000 per refugee to do all the resettlement. And many people told me that's just not enough money. That's It's just not enough to get people on their feet. So clearly, if you're under-resourced, you need help of community organizations and the local Afghan community. And in a place like Turlock, that just really doesn't exist. That's San Francisco Chronicle reporter Deepa Fernandez. You can find this story and her other reporting at sfchronicle.com and on Twitter at Deepa Fern. That's D-E-E-P-A-F-E-R-N. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Healthcare. Alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area, now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org And that's the California Report for Tuesday, June 7th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and... I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.